Welcome to PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and this episode will help answer the question of whether or not we need to get labs or CT scans of the head in a child who has recovered completely from a simple febrile seizure or a first-time unprovoked generalized seizure. It is also part of an overarching series that includes blog posts, podcast episodes, videos, infographics, and social media that aim to disseminate the Choosing Wisely campaign, which is an evidence-based list of five common pediatric conditions seen frequently in emergency care settings where clinicians and families can partner to safely avoid unnecessary tests. My collaborators on this episode include Paul Mullen from Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters in Norfolk, Virginia, and Jim Chamberlain from Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. I've also partnered with Don't Forget the Bubbles to produce additional content to disseminate the Choosing Wisely recommendations. Check out their site at don'tforgetthebubbles.com the same week this episode drops. Thanks to Spiros, Kara Jorgos, Andy Tag, and Dennis Wren for your help. Choosing Wisely is an initiative of the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, which seeks to promote conversations between clinicians and patients in choosing care that is supported by evidence, does not duplicate other tests or procedures already received, is free from harm, and truly necessary. At least 80 medical specialty societies have published more than 500 recommendations of overused tests and treatments as a result of the initiative originally launched in 2012. With that, let's begin this episode inspired by the Choosing Wisely recommendation that asks us to not order laboratory testing or a CT scan of the head for a patient with an unprovoked generalized seizure or a simple febrile seizure who has returned to baseline mental status. So seizures in kids can be caused by a wide variety of conditions, ranging from benign or idiopathic causes to genetic, intracranial, or systemic abnormalities. The most common presentations in the ED are febrile seizures, specifically the simple subtype, and the first-time unprovoked seizure. The simple febrile seizure is less than 15 minutes, generalized in a single event in a 24-hour period. The first-time unprovoked seizure is a seizure that happens seemingly out of nowhere, not provoked by hypoglycemia or trauma or an ingestion. On presentation, the majority of these children have a reassuring examination and history and have or will have returned to their baseline mental status. Multiple guidelines and collaboratives recommend against performing laboratory measurements such as electrolytes, glucose, CBC, inflammatory markers, or head imaging like CT scan or MRI. These recommendations come from organizations such as NICE, SIGN, AAP, the Pediatric Improvement Collaborative, the International Alliance Against Epilepsy, the American College of Radiology, and more. Let's first talk about why we don't need labs in these patients. So the evidence for avoiding unnecessary labs is based on small to medium-sized observational studies and expert consensus. A representative retrospective single-center cross-sectional study involving 549 children with simple febrile seizures evaluated potential laboratory abnormalities. The study showed that 99.3% of blood glucose levels, 98% of calcium, and 99% of electrolytes in renal function tests were normal. Other observational studies returned similar results. We all know that a CBC with differential is poor at telling us whether or not the child has an infection. 
Many children have an acute stress reaction immediately after a seizure and could have an elevated white blood cell count. So allow me to look at some of the most commonly obtained or at least considered labs. I'll discuss prices in U.S. dollars with the caveat that what a lab charges or what a hospital bills and what a patient pays is widely variable. Let's start with a rapid glucose or AccuCheck. This could cost up to about $60. And if the patient is transported by emergency medical services following a seizure, it's highly likely they got one. Just look for the Band-Aid on one of the kid's fingers. If a child is awake and alert and does not have any signs of neuroglycopenia and had been eating and drinking well, it's highly unlikely that they had a low glucose which led to their seizure. It's benign, but not completely. It does hurt to get it. And if you don't think that the kid has low glucose, well, then why check it? Much more expensive, but containing a glucose rapidly, is a blood gas or an I-STAT. This could cost $300 or more depending on the way it's run. Obviously, a venous gas, which takes a long time to run, is slower and less expensive. You may see post-seizure respiratory acidosis, but if they're breathing on their own and you're not going to place an airway, then what are you going to do about that? Are you going to send another one to prove that it's normal? Ultimately, if the kid is healthy, been eating and drinking well, has not had a prolonged course of illness, and doesn't have a significant medical history, you know the blood gas is probably not going to give you answers. Now, for the kid that's actively seizing or is still obtunded, yeah, you know, knowing that their sodium is low or the glucose is low, these things can be helpful. The renal panel or CHEM7 can cost up to 120 US dollars. And as I alluded to earlier, the likelihood in a child who's recovered to having an abnormal glucose, calcium, electrolytes, or renal function is incredibly low, less than 1% in most cases. The CBC with differential comes at a bargain of $60 or so. And again, it doesn't tell you if the kid has an infection let alone what kind. A blood culture may run more than 200 US dollars, and the false positive rate is probably greater than the risk of bacteremia in most patients that you're going to be seeing with a simple febrile seizure. So in a vaccinated child, the risk of bacteremia is probably under 1% in older children who are immunocompetent who have had all the right vaccines, and the risk of a contaminant or a false positive culture could be about 1.5% in some settings. And then we've got viral testing. It could be 150 to 300 US dollars, especially for combination panels. Now, if you're concerned about specific entities such as the flu or COVID, you'd like to treat for one of those two, you need exposure information, yeah, those can be helpful. But there are big comprehensive panels which cost more than 1300 US dollars. They're not so useful. More on that on a future Choosing Wisely production. And then urinalysis. And if you're looking for infection in a population at risk for UTI, follow the UTI testing guidelines. You can use UTI Calc, which is a great online tool in your fever workup. A urinalysis is about 60 US dollars. A urine culture could cost up to $100. So my hospital in general defaults to a urinalysis with a reflex to culture. So that is if the UA is positive, white blood cells, leukocytesterase, or nitrite, then they'll send the culture, but otherwise not. And then the LP, the lumbar puncture. And this one has undergone a lot of practice recommendation change throughout my time in pediatrics. 
It could be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 US dollars to get a lumbar puncture. And so let me quote the most current AAP practice guideline, which is from 2011 verbatim. Clinicians evaluating infants or young children after a simple febrile seizure should direct their attention toward identifying the cause of the child's fever. Meningitis should be considered in the differential diagnosis for any febrile child, and lumbar puncture should be performed if there are clinical signs or symptoms of concern. For any infant between 6 and 12 months of age who presents with a seizure and fever, a lumbar puncture is an option when a child is considered deficient in haemophilus influenza type B or streptococcus pneumoniae immunizations, i.e. has not received scheduled immunizations as recommended, or when immunization status cannot be determined because of an increased risk of bacterial meningitis. A lumbar puncture is an option for children who are pre-treated with antibiotics. In general, though, a simple febrile seizure does not usually require further evaluation, specifically EEG, blood studies, or neuroimaging. Well put. So you should consider an LP in some complex febrile seizures, especially if there's no return to baseline, or if the seizure was status epilepticus and required AEDs to stop, or if focal. There is an association between seizures and CNS infection in those instances. Because complex febrile seizures are so heterogeneous, they can be prolonged, they can be focal, they can be recurrent, there are no consensus guidelines on which children require an LP and CSF studies. So a child who had two 30-second generalized tonic-clonic seizures and recovered an hour apart, that's complex. Febrile status epilepticus of 30 minutes requiring multiple AEDs is complex. And a four-minute focal seizure, that's complex too. I think these are different entities, especially the two brief self-resolved generalized seizures a little bit of time apart. But this area is not adequately studied. I wish it was. In 2010, a retrospective cohort study assessed the rate of acute bacterial meningitis among children 6 to 60 months who presented with their first complex febrile seizure. There were 526 patients. 83% had no previous seizures. Almost two-thirds, 64%, got an LP. 2.7% of those children had CSF pleocytosis, and 0.9%, so 3 out of 340, had acute bacterial meningitis. Two of those three children had positive CSF culture for streptococcus pneumoniae. Both were ill-appearing, non-responsive, had bulging fontanelle, and apnea. The third patient actually had a failed LP, but grew strep pneumonia in the blood and was treated for a suspected diagnosis of bacterial meningitis. So you can kind of conclude from this study that even in complex febrile seizures, kids are going to be sick looking if they're going to have bacterial meningitis. Let's pivot over to neuroimaging. Simple febrile seizures or idiopathic generalized epilepsy in its first presentation, that first time seizure with complete recovery, are not typically associated with structural brain abnormalities. So there's a limited role for CT imaging, particularly in the acute setting. Despite international and regional guidelines, usage rate still has been observed to be high. In general, there are low-quality observational studies looking at the general use of CTs in children. Most of the studies didn't specify a complete return to baseline and a normal neurologic exam explicitly. So when I report this data, it's with a few caveats. So there was a review of 18 observational studies looking for scarring abnormalities on CT. 
1,803 children, and less than 3% had some sort of old scar or something abnormal like that on the CAT scan. When you look at inflammatory, infectious, or immune abnormalities, in a review of 19 observational studies involving 308 children, they saw 15% with abnormalities on CT. But again, these studies were heterogeneous, and they did not specify if the child returned to their baseline mental status. And then there's tumors, and this is the one that parents fear the most. 37 observational studies involving 2,661 children saw a rate of tumors of less than 3%. And again, there wasn't detailed information on return to baseline mental status, neurologic abnormalities, sometimes other red flag signs. And I think in practice, the rate is probably much lower. And again, this is just the summary of the available data, which is incomplete. So I wouldn't quote these figures to families with any degree of confidence. I did highlight some of the methodologic issues for a reason, and this data probably overestimates the likelihood of abnormalities, but we're not sure. So abnormalities on imaging for focal seizures are considerably higher, of course, with up to 50% having something wrong on CT. So yeah, take a good history. When imaging is necessary in circumstances like follow-up of a first-time unprovoked seizure and neurology is recommended imaging, multiple febrile seizures and collaborative decision-making by the family in neuro, MRI is the study of choice due to its superior anatomic resolution, identification of pathology, and lack of radiation risk. However, it's important to note that in the emergent setting, there's still risk with sedation and general anesthesia, which may be needed to facilitate the MRI. It's still not widely available and not a good option without sedation in kids under six. And I alluded to it earlier, but the risk of radiation is real and we can't estimate the true risk, but repeated exposure or even individual exposure to the radiation of a CT scan can increase the risk of cancer later in life in about one out of several thousand children. And then there's the cost. It adds up. A head CT could cost up to 1800 US dollars and an MRI could be double that. If the child has recovered, they were normal to begin with, and their physical examination and mental status are back to baseline and normal, that's a test. Observation is a test. Getting the imaging feels like it's more reassuring, but it isn't in most of these cases. So yes, we can practice our interpretation skills on imaging, but we should also practice discussing when not to get it with patients and families. And really the bottom line is, don't get a test unless you're gonna do something with it. In the majority of patients with simple febrile seizures who have recovered completely, or first time idiopathic generalized seizures that have recovered quickly, labs or CT scans of the head will not provide any new information or give us any more reassurance than we've already acquired by examining and observing the patient. All right, so that's it for this episode. Look out for additional content supporting the Choosing Wisely Pediatric Emergency Medicine campaign, including four more podcast episodes and posts on pemblog.com and don'tforgetthebubbles.com. Thank you again to Paul Mullen and Jim Chamberlain who helped put this episode together. If you have feedback about this content, send me an email, leave a comment on the blog, or hit me up on Twitter or X or whatever. I'm at PEM Tweets. I'm at Brad Soboleski on Instagram. 
and subscribe via your favorite podcast app and leave a review if you'd like. Any feedback is appreciated. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Sobolewski. And remember, when it comes to getting labs or CT scans for children with simple febrile seizures or unprovoked generalized seizures who've recovered, we can all choose wisely. See you next time.